pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear, that we would not drown out your words by our talk or by our false promises, but instead we would be people that would stand in awe of you. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there is something shocking when standing in line for the Zip and Pippin. Some of you might not know what the Zip and Pippin is, but it's Elvis's favorite roller coaster that has been transported to Green Bay, Wisconsin at Bay Beach. And if you go to ride this roller coaster, the Zip and Pippin, and you are in line, people are, man, they are smiling, they're laughing, they're happy, they're like, Zip and Pippin, this is going to be awesome, they're talking. And then you watch the roller coaster, these people sitting in it, you know, having a good time. It leaves the station, and then when they come back, they're like transformed people. They come back, and the look on their face is like wide-eyed. Their hair is blown back, and they're just kind of like, whoa, what just happened? See, if you're really looking, if you're really watching, you'll see do I dare step off this platform into the roller coaster after watching how people return? Today, someone else is going to warn us about watching our steps, not into a roller coaster, but coming to church. Do you know what you're getting into? By coming to church? It's not wind-whipped hair or wide eyes or maybe sunglasses flying off. But instead, it should be people that have been transformed by the presence and awe and glory of God. So that's my question for you this morning. Do you know what you're stepping into? Do you know where your steps are. Are you guarding them? Let's find out, shall we? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Please pay attention as we look at God's Word. It's printed in your worship guide. You can follow along there if you would like. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouths, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. 
All are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Where if you're just joining us, we are going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's a book that explores what is the meaning of life. And it does this through a quest. A quest by a guy named Koheleth, which means in Hebrew, the preacher. He's speaking to the assembly. He's speaking to us. And he's doing it through his experiences in life. And he's squeezing all he can of what he experiences in life. From pleasure, to work, to knowledge, He is getting it all out of life and squeezing it for meaning. What is meaning out of this place? And he is finding through all of this exploration, through all of this quest, it is vanity. It is meaningless. Or as the Hebrew really interprets it, it is a vapor, a wind that just slips through our fingers. We're grasping and grasping for meaning, but we cannot find it when it is under the sun. It's another key word that he uses over and over again. Under the sun. What does he mean, under the sun? He means what we see just here, the material world. If you took the transcendent world out of it, if you took God out of it, And all there was was the material world. That is what it means to live under the sun. Like there was no transcendence. There was no God. And he's saying if all that there is is what is under the sun, is all there is is what is the material world, and all there is is what we touch and feel and see, it is vanity. And so far as Christians, as we've gone through this book of Ecclesiastes, we're jiving with it, right? Yeah, I get that. You can't find ultimate meaning in work or pleasure or wisdom. Preach it, preacher, right? Preach it. You cannot find wisdom in those places. You cannot find meaning in those places. But here's what happens. Koheleth is going to go to church. Koheleth is off to church. So, Nat, do you need something? No? Yes, you do? Okay, can you talk to Nat about what she needs? That'd be great. You that? Okay, go for it. She's, we have a communion issue. Don't worry, it's getting solved, so it'll be all figured out. She probably has to go back there to get some of the communion stuff, so no worries. So, okay. So, Koheleth is off to church. And what he says in verse 1 is this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So it's not church in that day, it's really what he means is he's going to the temple. He's going to this place. So, you think, how can this man who goes to church find that there is vanity in going to church? That there's meaningless in going to this place? Surely, you can't go to church and think it is all under the sun. That there is no transcendence. That there is no God. There is nothing more. 
But that is what Koheleth is finding. He is finding that people go to the temple. People go to be in the presence of God and act as if there is no God. Act if all there is is what's under the sun. You see, in that day, there was this civil religion of Israel. You are a card-carrying Israelite. This is what happens. You say, hey, I was born in Israel. I bring sacrifices to the temple. I do all these things that it means to be um, an Israelite. Therefore, I'm in. I'm good. And these people are, are strolling up to the temple, coming to the presence of God without taking consideration of the transcendent without taking consideration that there is a God that actually is watching over their steps, that is watching over their lives, watching over their words. He is actually hearing and listening. See, they're walking into the temple like all that there is is what is under the sun, rather than seeing that when they go to the temple, they can get a glimpse of what is above the sun. How does, how does that happen? How does it happen that you can actually go to the temple, you can go to church and have no concept of, of God? You know, you might not know this, but there isn't some magical force field around this space right now. Like, once I come into the Boobolts and Girl Scout property, I am now in the presence of God. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like, oh, something clicks right there, that now that I've come into this space, now all is good. That's why he says, you need to guard your steps. You need to prepare yourself when you come to God. You need to know what you're getting into when you come into his presence and you speak to him and you worship with him. God is not this building. He is the people of his church that come and worship him and acknowledge who he is. So, if you want to guard your steps, you need to prepare yourself. And if you don't, you can run into trouble in two ways. Number one is this. That you can be a fool. And you can have folly. Anywhere under the sun. That means even coming to church. Even coming here, we can miss the point. We can be a fool. By coming into this place and not guarding our steps in the right way. Second, guarding your steps means fools run amok in the church. <laughs> you prepare yourself for trouble when you come to the church, and guess what? There are fools in this place. Jesus talked about this continuously, about separating the weeds and the wheat. That even in the church, there are people that come and are in this presence that do not trust God, that do not know God, that even in this place, there are fools. So if you come into church, be prepared. 
That one, you can come in being a fool yourself. The second is, you are around people that also are fools. So he wants to take this seriously. Coming to the house of God. So now that maybe Koheleth has scared you a little bit, maybe I've scared you a little bit, how do I know I'm going to church not just like what is under the sun, but I'm actually looking and paying attention to what is above the sun? There's two ways. Here we go. Please listen. You can hear something. Hear this. One is this. Believing your words are more important than God's words is how you can be a fool coming to church. Believing your words are more important than God's words. The second way you can be a fool is this. You come to church and you come to God with your own agenda. Second way we can be a fool is we come to God with our own agenda. Well, let's look, shall we? Let's look again back to the passage. Verse 1. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Koheleth is not saying sacrifices are bad. He's saying a sacrifice of fools are bad. A sacrifice of a fool is someone that's coming to God just checking off the boxes. Here I am. This is what I bring to you, God. And Kohela says that is living life under the sun. Thinking that you are coming to God, that you have something to offer, that this is some club or some group that you should be part of, that you just check off the box and you are good. Kohela says, no, there is a better way. There is a way that you can see not just what is under the sun, but what is above the sun. Again, the key word he uses is better. And he uses this over and over again in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. And when he uses the word better, he's saying, this is a way to see eternity. This is a way to see what is meaningful. This is a way to see not just vanity. And what does he see as a way not to just see vanity? Someone that does this. It is better to listen. To listen. Kohel is amazing at making very sad observations. And the sad observation is here. Here is these people coming to God, coming to the temple, coming to this place, using all these words, making all these sacrifices, and thinking that they are doing right by God by doing this. But Kohela says this, they do not even know they are doing evil. That is what is so sad. They've checked all the boxes. They've done all the Israelite things. They've done all these steps they're supposed to do, but they don't even realize that they are actually not doing good. They are doing evil because they come to God themselves rather than letting God speak to them. They say, I'm going to come to God and tell Him what is up. Have you had conversations like that? 
Maybe a conversation with your son or daughter or maybe with a coworker that you say, I'm going to tell them what's up. You've, you've documented all that you're going to say, all the words, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to tell them what they need to do. This is how it's going to work in this relationship. Claire says, do you know what is so screwed up? That many times people come to the temple and come to God with that same way of thinking. God, I gotta, let me tell you what's up. Let me tell you about how this life should work. Let me tell you how I like my life to go. And Koheleth says this, again, look. He says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Koheleth is basically saying this, God is eternal. He is above the sun. He has a full perspective of what is happening in your life. He made you. So should you be telling him what should happen? Or should he be telling you what should happen? Who would think that entering God's house, we would say, oh, I think I want to tell you what to do, God. But that is what happens. And then he gives a little proverb at the end, verse 3. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. What he's saying is, uh, in that day, they thought that when you were toiling and working hard at work, uh, what happened was you'd have many dreams. Maybe that's true nowadays. That when you are... Freud said the same thing. If you have many, many issues in your life, it's getting worked out in your dreams. That's the same understanding they had. So he's saying with many dreams, that means it comes much toil. It'd be in the same way as saying with much air conditioning rattling comes much heat. Yeah, that makes sense. In the same way, with a fool's voice comes many words. So many words describes a fool's voice. You see, Koheleth is pointing out the irony. That to find meaning, to find purpose, when you go to the house of God, you shouldn't be coming with your own under the sun mentality, but instead you should look to Him above the sun to direct you in the way to go. You should listen. Maybe you've heard this famous parable. Two men were in New York City. And they were walking through this bustling city. Ambulances roaring. Taxi cabs going. People talking. And one of the guys was a country guy. And he said, do you hear that? And the other man said, what? The cricket. You can't hear a cricket here. Now listen. And he goes and reaches out in somewhere in this concrete jungle and he pulls out this, he finds this cricket and pulls it out. And the other man says, oh my word, you must have superhuman ears to be able to hear that. And the man responded, no, no. My ears are no different than yours. It all depends on what you are listening to. 
That man then, with a cricket in one hand, reached in his pocket with the other and pulled out some change. And then he took the change and he threw it on the ground. And all the people around in New York City turned and looked to the ground. You see, it's all what your ear is attuned to. Now maybe nowadays, hearing change rattle on the ground uh, would not have that same effect in New York City um, because it's not worth that much. But you get the point. What are you listening to? See, under the sun, we're bombarded with different sounds, especially our own voice and our own opinions. We're bombarded with talking points from different tribes on Facebook or the news or whatever it might be. And then what we do is we take these talking points from all these noises around us and we say, this is what God says. It must be gospel truth because this is what was written in the New York Times. This must be gospel truth because this is what I heard on Fox News. And we take these talking points and we actually think these are the words of God. And we separate into our tribes and our groups and we get angry at each other. And maybe we come to church and we'll have the pastor reinforce our talking points, right? Just reinforce what I believe and what I think about what I hear in the news. No. Are you ready to listen to the voice of God? Are you ready to listen to what He says? Are you ready to hear? And He's given it to us. He's been very clear. Here it is. Have you opened this lately? Have you heard what he's had to say? Have you meditated on it? Have you let the spirit that is inside you illuminate the word to you so you can hear what he has to say? And you know what? He might convict you of things that you think don't abide by your talking points. And then you can be around others in the church that can reinforce the truth of the gospel. See, I don't think the preacher is attacking singing at church or speaking at church or these long fellowship breaks where we talk. No, he's attacking our haste, our arrogance, our impatience of listening to God and let him shape us and change us and mold us. Are we people truly listening are we just busy playing church? Are we being shaped by what is above the sun? Let me give practical application. Do you come to church for the social time? It's not bad. Do you come for the music? Oh, I, I like this kind of music. Do you come because, you know, this guy that speaks, he's fun to listen to? I hope it's more than that. I hope you realize that the God of the universe is speaking to you. 
And he's wanting to challenge your behaviors and your passions to see there is something more than what is under the sun. Let's keep going, shall we? Let's look. Verses 4 through 6. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow, that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Here it is. Much talk keeps happening. And with that comes vows. Promises before God to perform an act. Promises before God to perform an act. I'll do this. I'll do that. We might see this. Marriage vows. Is where we see it? The vows that we make before church when you baptize your child, I'll raise them in the admonition of the Lord. Vows you make to become a member of a church. I don't think he's making a warning against making vows. He's warning against not fulfilling vows. And he's again saying, it's better that you should not vow than vow and break it. See, you don't want to be in a position where this messenger, it says a messenger, really means is they would have in that day someone that would make sure that you fulfilled your vows back then. Are you, are you saying what you said you were going to do? And people in the community would go and check in to make sure you were. Could you imagine if that happened nowadays? What people would say? But I want you to know that is good church discipline, is it not? I would hope if I marry a couple up here or wherever it might be, and you might yourself go and watch a married couple make vows, that you would also be a messenger when they try to break those vows. That you would go to them and say, are you fulfilling your vows? Are you abiding by this? It's awkward. Trust me, it's awkward. It's probably more awkward for the person receiving it. Again, why he says, do you know what you're getting into? See, there's a heart issue behind this. It's not just about vows. The heart issue is this. It shows a bigger problem. A people says, I'll do this and I'll do that. And you just realize there is nothing above the sun. I can say whatever I dang well please. I'll make this promise, I'll make that promise. And if there's really nothing above the sun, if there's no judgment, if there's no God that's watching the commitments that I make, the things that I do, who cares if I break it or not? There might be some consequences among friends and broken relations like that, but there's no eternal consequences. There's no God that's judging me. He says, that's a type of thinking that you go to God and think he does not listen to you, that he does not care. You enter his house and you make all these promises, I'll do that and I'll do that, but then during the week you just totally forget about it because you don't believe there is a God that is judging you and watching you in your decisions and where you spend your money and how you speak to others. Very sad. A friend of mine, we were married around the same time. His wife, just a couple months ago, filed for divorce. 
she said to my friend, you know, we had a good run. Three kids later, we had a good run. So painful. How could she break these vows? And the thing is, what my friend noticed is that her breaking the vows coincided with her not going to church and spending time with the Lord. Those things happened along the same time, just splitting. See, she finally says, you know, I don't really believe in God anymore. That makes sense. When there's no standard, when there's no God that we stand in awe of and fear, no God watching over our commitments and vows and promises, why fight for it? Why fight for it when it's hard? Why keep going when it's difficult? But if there is a God that cares and loves and sees, then we go, okay, these vows mean something. Do you come to the house of God and believe there's a God that watches over you? If you are, I would think you would be slow to speak. You know, when it's hard then to fulfill a vow, it then makes you go, okay, I need to start facing up to God and relying upon Him. And maybe I realize when I'm not living the vow that I promised to do, maybe all this singing and pious talk and actually all the things that I say in these words like, you know, this song that, you know, in times of trouble, you know, blessed be the name, maybe they mean something. All the words that I've said. Maybe they're actually true. And maybe I actually need to come to God for help. Well, I admit that maybe hearing this passage maybe scares some of you to say, I might not say anything at church now, right? (laughs) No, I don't think that's what Koheleth is saying. He's saying, actually, what you say matters actually means something. That when you're in conversation with God, when you're listening to God, you realize that you need Him to fulfill the promises that you've made. And then when a watching world watches the church, they see, wait a second, they actually believe what they're singing and what they're saying. That even when it's difficult, They still are committed in their marriage. Even when people in the church are difficult to them, they still love those people. Even when someone dies, they still rejoice in how good their God is. Right? Who are these people? They're people that see what is above the sun. They're not just some club or some hobby group. There is something more. We're kind of the midpoint of Ecclesiastes, so I think I need to make some 
just some defense for Ecclesiastes, this book. This book can seem very depressing and sometimes very flippant. Here's this guy that says, eat, drink, and, marry, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Some have argued this is the earliest form of existentialism. If you know what existentialism is, it means this, that human life is defined not by something outside of oneself, but by, individual, uh, by an individual's free choice. It's not what is above the sun that brings you meaning. It's only what is under the sun, my own choices. See, what one chooses is what constitutes their identity. Not God. Have we heard that enough in our culture nowadays? If you've been paying attention, you better believe you've heard that. What makes me me is my own choices, my own feelings, what I want. Some would say, well, that sounds like this guy, he's just making his own choices. He's just experiencing as much as he can. This is just existentialism. No, please hear this. Ecclesiastes is doing the opposite. What he is doing is he is running us through the experiment of existentialism to show us that that way of living is meaningless. Even the ways that we approach religion and the church. You know, you might not be familiar with this man, but there was also a 19th century man that was accused of being flippant and depressing. He grew up in Denmark. His name was Soren Kierkegaard. And people accused him of being existential and not caring or any of these things. But he was a Christian. And he lived in this Christian culture. And he tried, like Koheleth, through poetry and philosophy to wake people up. Because this is what he was noting, noticing in Denmark. That one became a Christian without noticing it. Everything became as simple as pulling up one's socks. That's what Christianity, being a Christian was. It was that easy. And he observed like Koheleth that people just lived like all there was what was under the sun. I get a lot of my ideas on Kierkegaard by a really good book. Kierkegaard, A Christian Missionary to Christians. That's really what Kierkegaard was. A Christian Missionary to Christians. He crafted difficult ideas and thoughts to get this Christian culture and religious culture to wake up. And he was incredibly perplexed how these people could commit to going to church twice a year and being confirmed and then not going to church anymore. How they actually called themselves Christians. And he marveled at the paradox that how God could become man and save us from our sins, and we could assume that this is easy and trivial. Well, you might call Kierkegaard a prophet. In Denmark today, 80% of people in Denmark are members of the church of Denmark. 
but only 3% regularly attend. 3%. And only 28% of the people of Denmark believe in a God. But 80% are members of a church. It does beg the question, What about here in Appleton, Wisconsin, in the Fox Valley? Oh, everyone's a Christian here. Everyone belongs to a church here. Everyone's been baptized here. Is this a game? Is this a game that we play? Or is it real? You don't believe me? I love the, com- the conversation I have with neighbors. Yeah, I belong to that church. Oh, when's the last time you went? A few years ago. And then when we actually talk about life and they're wrestling through things in life and I'm talking about the gospel and how it informs my way of life, this is what comes out of their mouth. This is a neighbor's comment to me. You actually believe this stuff is real. You actually believe this stuff is real? Koheleth is waking us up. The church, he wants to wake us up. If all of this is, is some club, this is a horrible hobby. I've said that before, a horrible hobby. If all that is, it is vanity. It is meaningless. It means nothing. It is pointless. But if we come here and we believe we are actually talking to the living God who actually made us and created us and we stand in awe of Him that He cares about all the choices we make. He cares about all the words we say. He cares about all the things that we do. Actually, it matters then we should, like he says, be ones that stand in the fear of him, in awe of him, when we come into his presence. It should make us not be flippant and say, I'll do this, I'll do that, and give him all the ideas that we have. This is what I feel. This is who I want to be. This is my identity. Just take it for what it's worth, God. No. He says, I will shape you in the way that you should be because I made you. Listen to me. And then you will have life. Then it won't be meaningless. Then it won't be vain. Some of us might be very fearful now. Well, how am I supposed to come to church then? What am I supposed to do? I am a person that does say many words. I know I am. I'm a person that breaks vows. I know I do at times. I make promises to God and don't fulfill them. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to approach Him? You want to see a modern day or I should say a New Testament view, modern day, just a thousand years later than Kohala. 
It might give you new understanding when you look at this parable that Jesus gives about the way two different guys guard their steps when they come to the temple. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Who was justified? The one that didn't come saying, look what I have to bring. But the one that came and said, look God what you have brought to me. See, the one who fears God humbles himself to God's voice and God's leading and not to their own. That is the one who lives a life above the sun. 